It was the Nobel laureate Robert Dillon who once wrote, You may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion, or you might live in a dome. You might own guns. You might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Every year we come to this, the season of Easter, and we hear these stories from the Acts of the Apostles. And they're stories of remembering who God is. They're stories of interpreting how best to live. And they're stories about discovering a new way of being. And today we hear a story about what it means to be bound. A story that is told with a slave girl and a jailer and a couple of beaten prisoners. To start this morning, we find that Paul and Cyrus are in the Roman city of Philippi, and they are headed to prayer. But they are followed, once again, by a slave girl who is incessantly crying out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. Now, apparently there has been uh, several days of this, and so at this point Paul is uh, very much annoyed. I really... I really appreciate the humanity of our sacred texts. I don't necessarily recommend to any parents, though, to do what follows next. Uh, because after having had enough of this, Paul commands the Spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ, which it does. Now, I'd like to just pause here for a moment and explore because parts of this story are fairly clear, while others to this day remain ambiguous. First, the slave girl. She is unnamed, like many women in Scripture. When we first hear of her, as biblical scholar Jennifer Kaaland reminds us, she is doubly oppressed. She is a possession of both her masters as well as a spirit of divination. We know from the text that she is a doulos, a slave, someone bound to serve others. She has no control over her body. She has no agency or identity. She has no capacity to have will or choice. 
And so while Paul does free her from the Spirit, we have no idea what follows. With her masters no longer able to make money off of her fortune-telling, what happens to her next? Is she freed entirely, as some scholars suggest, or is she simply enslaved in other ways for her master's enrichment? This we do not know. This part of the story was not known or remembered to pass on. We do, however, have record of what she said, which was apparently hard for Paul to hear. Now, it's my sense that it was hard for him to hear because of the relentlessness of her words in the streets of Philippi. Corner after corner, she shouted day after day behind them. And this frustrated Paul. Because what she said, calling them slaves of the Most High God who proclaim a way of salvation, well, that was actually spot on. It was a descriptor that Paul himself uses in his letters. It's a truth about how Paul and the rest of the disciples viewed themselves as bound, as slaves to this Most High God who then used their lives to point others to preservation and safety and deliverance. But Paul had had enough, and so the Spirit was sent out of her. Which could be the story in and of itself, right? Except that it's just the beginning. Now here's a pop quiz. If you are looking to uh, disrupt an empire or any system that holds power, what is one of the most effective ways to do that? Mess with the money. Which wittingly or unwittingly is exactly what Paul and Silas have just done. Because now the owners of this slave girl, well, they're source of money is lost. Their prized possession no longer has value for them. And so the response of the empire is that Paul and Silas are seized, dragged to the marketplace, and brought before some hastily thrown together tribunal. And the argument that wins the day doesn't mention money at all. But the argument that wins the day is this. These men are trouble. They are not like us. And they are undermining who we are as Romans. And you know, they might have been right. But it wasn't in the depossession that we really see this. It's in how Paul and Silas respond in the hours to come. Because after being uh, stripped naked and then beaten with rods and then thrown into the darkest of the dark innermost cells and shackled in stocks and left there to bleed, what do Paul and Cyrus do? 
They sing. Like generations of freedom fighters to come, when thrown into prison for setting someone free, they begin to pray and to sing hymns to God for hours. They sing and they pray for themselves and for anyone else who is there listening. And they wait for what would come next. Which amazingly is an earthquake, an earthquake so powerful as to bust open all the doors of the prison and to release every prisoner from their bonds. Panicked, the jailer rushes in and in the dark, all he sees is all these cell doors wide open. Realizing that the prisoners have likely all escaped, the, dra- the jailer draws his sword from his sheath to kill himself. Now I wonder, was it, was it the, the scraping of the sword coming out of its sheath that caught Paul's attention? It's dark in there. Is that what compels Paul to act? Let's pause again and and recall that Paul and Silas have been wrongly convicted. They have been humiliated. They have been beaten. They have been shackled. And they have been imprisoned. And miraculously, the door of their cell is open. Their shackles are loose. And their jailer is about to kill himself. Some might actually see this as an answer to prayer. And yet, Paul cries out to save his jailer. Because while he may be in prison, while he may be bound to the Most High God, Paul is freer than anyone else in our story. And in that moment, the jailer sees it. And the jailer wants to be freed as well. Who wouldn't want to be? Well, as it turns out, many of us. But instead of of taking his sword and making yet another wound, the jailer unbelievably washes the wounds of Silas and of Paul. Remember, these are words that he himself might have created. And in this process, he is delivered, he is restored, he is made whole, He is saved. You see, it turns out that that word, doulos, or slave, acquired another meaning around the first century. When this concept of being bound began to be used in a Christian context, it had another meaning. Because it now meant 
the highest devotion of one who is bound by love. Paradoxically, being enslaved as a Christian was being enslaved, but not by compulsion. Instead, with free will. Being enslaved was not forced out of a duty, but freely offered in love. And this was the salvation of Jesus the Christ that Paul had been offered on the road to Damascus. And in receiving it, it was the one that he was bound to offer others. So yes, Paul and Silas could have run away, and they themselves probably would have been safe. But remember, their choice actually kept them in prison. It didn't release them from suffering. But the jailer, well, likely would have been killed, either by himself or by others. But salvation is not simply about our own liberation. Salvation necessarily belongs to all. Friends, as much as I hate to say this, there is no such thing as not being enslaved, not being bound by something or to something in this world. It's just that the binds we find ourselves in, though they are just as real, they are often obscured. They are often hard for us to see. We may be bound by the fear of being unloved or unwanted and unwillingly then give ourselves over to the trappings of status. Or slowly pulled into the mire of relationships that distort us. It may be that we are bound by that constant fear that we and those close to us are not safe. And so we gather and hoard money or possessions or privilege in an effort to keep the beast at bay. We may seek to numb ourselves so that we don't have to encounter the pain and suffering of ourselves or of our world. Events like the devastation of another mass shooting, yet more photos and stories and shattered lives of people who were just doing their civic duty. We are enslaved in ways that we cannot quite articulate, but know that we are bound. And yet, we have stories like this one, stories where Paul and Silas so know who they are and to whom they are bound, that even when beaten and imprisoned, they choose to offer God's salvation to the one who imprisons them. That slave girl was absolutely right, and I suppose the slave masters realized it too. That when this way of salvation 
is followed by people, the empires who rely upon the tools of domination crumble. Paul and Silas and Lydia and all kinds of people over centuries and across continents have shown us this way by giving themselves over to others, by binding themselves to another in love. But it's always a choice. We get to choose who and what will receive our devotion. If Mr. Dillon is right, and I believe he is, you're going to have to serve somebody. The question always is, who's it going to be?